Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio-Technica. Audio-Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio-quality yet affordable products because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. And I'm speaking to you right now wearing the M50X headphones. They're for the studio, they're for every day. I speak to all my guests wearing these headphones. I wear them on the move and I like it like that. That's how I listen. But whatever way you like to listen, head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. and sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you now from. If you're a regular listener, how are you doing? If you're new here, welcome. This is the show where each episode I have conversations with the musical innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make. Previous guests have included Peaches, Suzanne Chiani, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Letitia Sadie, Ghost Poet, Cozy Fanny Tutti, Baxter Jury, Nastia Sleaford Mods, Nightmares on Wax, and Thurston Moore. And today, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Jesse Lanza. My book, Coming to Berlin, is available now through Velocity Press or in specialist bookshops. And yes, so here we are. Jesse Lanza, singer, producer, and DJ from Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, now living in L.A. It's been 10 years since Jesse Lanza's first album was released into the world. The album, Pull My Hair Back, was released on the massively influential UK label Hyperdub, the label set up by the equally massively influential producer and DJ Code9, who also, incidentally, was one of my lecturers at university. I think often what can make music or food or films or 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 art art stuff that we feel just right is when combinations happen when different elements that might seem quite contrasting or or maybe even familiar come together in their own way and out of that becomes something new in itself and that's something that i get when i'm listening to any of jesse's four studio albums it's this kind of synergy that taking different elements that and they come together and feel so natural that there's a sweet spot that becomes its own thing it's this kind of combination of pop and experimentation her voice is both ethereal and soulful and when i listen i hear a little bit of her childhood loves of Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson there and this kind of compliments with her production and we go into this in in the interview about how her production and her singing and songwriting all 
overlap and mix together. Her production is so bright, it's skippy, it's a tad glitchy. It has elements of two-step, of UK bass, of left-field electronica. It is both pop and left-field at the same time. But the way she mixes it all together, it's so natural that you don't even notice often how complex the layers are going on, how intricate stuff is. It just becomes this beautiful, fizzy, fizzy thing. If it was a drink, if Jesse Lanza's music was a drink, it would be really cold. It would be super chilled on a really hot day. It would be fizzy and it'd have some basil coming out of the top. Um, yes, so I was super excited to chat with her. Her new album, Love Hallucination, out very soon on Hyperdub. So we had this chat. She was back in Canada and I am in Berlin. And this chat happened on June the 1st, 2023. This is me, Paul Hamford, chatting with Jesse Lanza for Lost and Sound podcast. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, well, thanks for chatting with me today. Yes, how how are you doing? You, do you do you kind of get kind of excited when with a new album coming out, or does it feel sort of like does it feel like the kind of process is done by that point? Oh, I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit strange because I've heard the songs obviously so many times, and mm. some of them were written like two years ago, or you know, but being able to play it for people and knowing that people are listening, that's always super exciting to get feedback from people. Mm. And did you find like you get like a cut, the songs develop a new sense of life once, because, you know, you spend a lot of time on your own or with a producer uh, working on the material, but then it's sort of just in you, isn't it? You know, but do you find like once you start playing it to people to live and getting reactions, they sort of, the, the, the art kind of takes on its own kind of a different form. Yeah, definitely. Playing some of the songs live last month, I, I went on tour with another artist named Yeji and mm. new stuff live for the first time. And the way people react gives it a totally new energy. It like is very, very invigorating at the best of times. Yeah. Sometimes people don't react the way you think they're going to. It can call a lot of stuff into question. You know? <laughs> and do people ever react, say like you... Do you ever get like the opposite of that? Do you ever have times where people react more better to certain material than you imagine them to as well? Definitely. Yeah. That's always a really pleasant surprise. You can't predict it. Um, I can't at least some, I have friends who are very good at predicting. Mm. <laughs> things, but I don't have the, I have like a up is down. I don't know. Things I think won't, be really popular, super popular. And I don't know, I have a bad instinct for it, but it's always surprising and uh, a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah. And is it quite important for the process to not second guess yourself like that as well, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I'm not so great at mm. that, but I'm trying to be. <laughs> I think it is definitely, definitely important not to second guess yourself. I think you save yourself a lot of trouble just plowing forward, just like ripcord out of the plane, you know? Yeah, Tom Cruise style. Exactly. Yeah. Your own stunts, actor and a stuntman and whatever else. <laughs> whatever else he is at the moment, yeah. <laughs> skills. I'm sure he has many skills. 
Total. I think it's probably quite unlimited. I think we've only seen about half of them yet, but um, but yeah. there's a lot of skills on the album anyway. Like Love Hallucination. I haven't heard all of it yet, but what I have heard, I really love. Uh, love all of your yeah. stuff. Um, um, but uh, what, I was wondering what your situation was at the time of recording the album. Where are you at? Um, I think I started recording uh, in the Bay Area, living with mm. my my in laws, um, right at the tail end of COVID, and then I moved to LA and wrote the remainder of the record. Um, so it was a bit of a mess. Like my studio was in disarray. Um, so I went to a lot of other studios, like working with people I've never worked with before. Um, it was a bit messy, like wasn't consistent. Right. And did you have like a kind of an idea of what you wanted beforehand or was it sort of like, cause you were saying it was a bit messy. Is it sort of, was it more of like a piecemeal process? Um, I've written quite a bit for other artists and been mm-hmm. writing for for other artists and I think doing that helped me really tap into a side of my songwriting that I hadn't been in touch with before. So that was, that was huge. Yeah. Just writing for other people definitely helped me get in touch with feelings and memories and Mm -hmm. things that maybe I wouldn't have touched with my own music at first. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd say that that really defines this record. Because there's kind of like a, I mean, I think all of your music's quite confident, but there's definitely sort of feels like there's a sort of an acceleration of confidence going on with this one. And did you say, do you feel like sort of working, the work you're doing with other people as well helped kind of bring that out in yourself more? Definitely. Yeah, that was a big step for me to work with people that I don't really know mm. all that well. Like when the London and working in Pearson Sounds, um, David Kennedy's studio, I had only talked with him like on the phone once and just showed up at his house. And that's pretty, I don't usually mm. show up at people's houses. Yeah. Like, okay, it's a new thing for me, but it was great. And it, um, I loved working with David. So definitely made me feel more confident. Yeah. Yeah. That must be quite a big sort of step to kind of like you met someone once and then, you know, you're handing over this kind of quite important part of your soul to kind of collaborate with someone, isn't there? Do you kind of, uh, what would you have like instincts that come into play there, you know, about who you work with? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a lot of, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about, um, I mean, sometimes yeah, it's like picking which ones to listen to, but the mm. really strong ones I always listen to. Um, but yeah, I definitely get a feeling from people's music. I've, I've been a fan of David's for like a decade, over a decade. Mm. And I've always wanted to work with him. I've always loved every release he puts out. So I was pretty sure that the music side, that wasn't that wasn't going to be an issue. Yeah. I think he would do something that I liked. I mean, because there's always that thing about like people say never meet your, you know, never meet your heroes. So was there a little bit of you that like sort of on the personal side, you're thinking, oh, fuck, like the music I love, but like, how will we get along? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about it, but it, it goes back to the not second guessing, like mm. just off like a Band-Aid, you know, like just have to do things sometimes and hope for the best. <laughs> Totally. Otherwise, we just stay still, really, I guess, don't we? You know, and yeah. I and sometimes that's good, but you know, not all the time. 
No, no, not all the time. I think most of the time it's better to be in motion. Mm. Um, that's coming. I, that's like the opposite of how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this fan as well, you know, so you're talking about like motion and stuff and the van has kind of played a little bit of a role in, in, in your music and your career as well. And, and do you, what, what, what is, how did, can you tell me a little bit about how the van came about and, and how you, you use it? Yeah, sure. So um, when COVID first started, I was living in New York mm. at my van um, and we were playing a show in London. It obviously got after that show in London, we had to go home. The tour was canceled. Mm. We thought we were going to be away. So we ended our lease in New York. We had nowhere to go. So my husband's my mother-in-law said like you can come live with me but she lived in the bay area so mm. we packed like thankfully if we hadn't had my van i don't know it would have been a very expensive move for us yeah. so we, got, we got a u-haul and we took the van and we drove to san francisco and um basically during all of covid like we didn't have i didn't have a studio really we didn't I put out an album, I put out all the time and we wanted to make things, make DJ sets for people mm. to see it, listen to, but like we didn't have, the van was like our only production value, you know, like we didn't <laughs> have any props. So, so Winston who makes, um, films, everything, he had the idea to do the boiler room in the back mm. in the boot of the, of the van, um, do a DJ set on top of the van. Um, and really was this, working with what we had. Yeah. And out. so to say, was this the sort of, you say this was just coming out of COVID or was this during the lockdowns? Or? This was during the lockdown. Like that's when the van really became our go-to. Yeah. I mean, I guess as well, wow. I mean, that must be so convenient as well to have that rather than, you know, with, with, you know, having this kind of built-in sort of unit, sort of temporary studio, miniature nightclub boiler room space as well when everything else is kind of closed or semi-closed or something there weren't many options so (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'm very happy with what we pulled off with that van i definitely got lots of lots of use out of it yeah and do you feel like um do you feel like this sort of nomadic sort of thing is there a part of your heart that has got that kind of nomadic thing in you I wouldn't have said so, but the past mm. five years have been quite nomadic for sure. I, I'm in LA now and I think that we'll stay there. Hopefully. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I lived in Hamilton for most of my life and some, yeah, I guess because of COVID mainly, I found myself just moving a lot, mm. like five times in the past five years. Um, so yeah, I would say Love Hallucination is definitely written at the tail end of a lot of moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully yeah. the next album will be an album made in one place, do you feel? I I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I, I think I will make a lot of it in my studio and mm. travel and work on it with friends too. Mm. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, the reasons you were talking about just feeling you know it's just more fun to be with others 
Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think as a sort of solo artist as well, to sort of that thing of kind of collaborating as well must be, you know, there's a different sort of emphasis than if you're like in a band, I guess, as well, you know. Yeah, mm. definitely. It's always really fun to see what people are going to add. And usually it's always like, I've always had like pretty positive experiences. Mm. Yeah, it can be pretty scary. <laughs> what if they add something bad? Yeah, 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 no, totally. (laughs) No, that's it, definitely. I mean, and like, so you know, you've had like quite your music life has been quite an extensive part of your life, hasn't it? I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how music actually came into your life. Yeah, both my parents were musicians, and they were very. My dad, especially, was very encouraging. Mm. Um, I'd say beyond encouraging, like forceful (laughs) yeah he wanted me to learn piano learn singing and I I always really enjoyed it um he also ran a PA rental company and so that got me into just being aware of like clubs and sound systems and Mm. because he was a music teacher but he did that on the side Mm. so that he had a studio in the basement and like lots of gear and it was just always in my life. Yeah. And this was in Hamilton. In Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that? Was there like a kind of um, a music scene at the time when you first started getting into music and started to sort of play as well, because you kind of gravitated towards jazz initially, you know, was there a reason why jazz became the thing you kind of gravitated towards? Yeah. I no offense to, jazz because I'm very feel very lucky that I got to learn music that way and learn chord progressions that way but I think I defaulted to jazz because when I was an adolescent and a teenager there wasn't much of a scene here Mm. anymore like there used to be a rave scene in the 90s but I I missed that Um, Mm. so I was just doing things through school and I wanted to go to university for jazz you know it's like I think it's different now. You can do pop music at school, mm. but it was either classical or jazz mm. when I was going to school. So, <laughs> and this—I mean, jazz is serious chops, isn't it? There's a, like a serious amount of dedication. Were you having to kind of like put in the kind of like eight? I don't know how many hours a day it is, but is it like for some for piano? It's going to be like ten hours a day, or or something yeah. like that. Is it sort of pretty hot, full on? Definitely, really full on, and I. Mm. I was not great at, mm. at it. it. Like a lot of pressure. Like I actually watched that movie Whiplash. Like, yes. Two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was really making me laugh. It's a pretty funny movie. And I, I don't, but there are people maybe not quite as severe as that teacher, mm. but um, people take themselves really seriously in in jazz school for sure <laughs> the way you were talking about it is sort of i got a kind of impression that maybe you didn't take it so se- or you had like a sort of were you sort of reflecting on the way people were taking it seriously as being something that maybe you didn't relate to so much to yourself or yeah i mean maybe if i had been better i would have mm. taken it more seriously but it's like you said it was like being alone in a room practicing for mm. eight to ten hours a day i think it just takes a really special really specific type of person to to excel in that environment. And that just wasn't me. Yeah. Um, I did learn a lot and I learned how to emulate people. I learned how to transcribe. Mm. 
yeah, I definitely learned how to listen, which is huge. And I use that every day. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about whiplash as well, because I kind of, I haven't seen it for a couple of years, but I remember thinking at the time that it could almost be a sports movie, really. It could be a movie about like boxing or something like that. You know, this kind of training mindset, you know, that, that, you know, had to go on. And so that was something that you didn't connect with so much then the, the sort of the, the training aspect of it. Yeah. And also, well, I think the like tough love approach, if you want to call it that, right. I thought that was kind of bullshit. Um, right. And, and having to um, just be okay with somebody maybe taking their shit out on you, which I guess is what that movie was all about. Yeah. Um, you're so vulnerable as a teen or a kid mm. in your early 20s. And, um, I think people can really prey on that. And I didn't like that. Mm. I think it's a very fertile environment for like kind of psychos to just, you know, kind of like tar. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I've not seen tar yet. I need to see that. Oh, but, it's so good. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's definitely on my list. I feel quite bad that I haven't seen it already. But so it's interesting what you're saying about it being this kind of fertile ground as well and, and stuff. And sort of, I, I always kind of get the feeling, I know it's a sort of a slightly, maybe a slightly, slightly utopian view, but like electronic music is sort of, is portrayed as being like the kind of opposite of that in terms of like being a kind of a safe space, a free space. Obviously there's loads of examples when it's not so, but do you feel like, what was this? Do you feel like, what was your sort of access point or entry point to noticing electronic musical sort of, sort of switching to, you know, from jazz to, cause you were a music teacher for a while as well. Um, yeah, I taught piano. yeah. And uh, what was, what was the sort of, the, the, the the journey from Jesse, the piano teacher, jazz prodigy to discovering electronic music and kind of sort of actually kind of like starting to kind of uh, produce yourself and started to make music electronically. Um, yeah, I think that I, because my dad was into gear and recording mm. and uh, into PAs, um, he also helped my cousin who was in a band called, called uh, Azari and Three. I remember them. Yeah. 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 So my cousin was in that band. And so, and he was like, really, they were really like blowing up at that time. Mm. So I was aware of that. And he like used some of my dad's gear in his studio. And so that was always around, but I'd never engaged with it until I started working with Jeremy Greenspan, who's also from Hamilton. And he's in a, he's in a band called Junior Boys. Um, oh yes, yeah. We're really big when I was in mm. high school. Not very many people make electronic music in Hamilton. So yeah, I started working with him and I bought my first synthesizer off of um Craigslist. Mm. Yeah, I just started experimenting really and um yeah, we started making music together and then we connected with Code 9 at Hyperdub. Yeah. He was like so encouraging and really gave us the time of day when nobody else would. So, yeah, but th that was like a big stretch of time. I think it was about like three or four years, you know, before um, Steve said he would release something. Yeah. 
It's interesting because um, Steve was actually one of my teachers when I was at university. And, um, oh, really? I, yeah. Uh, war, what's it called? I can't remember. Oh, the, the university or yeah. um, um, University of East London at oh. the time. But this was like about 2007, 2008. So mm-hmm. it's a little while back. But yeah, I, I you know, definitely I mean, he was teaching like a kind of music production, but he was putting in like a lot of philosophy into it as well. You know, and sort of looking at from a kind of like, I think it was about the time he was just about writing that book about the, the sonic warfare uh, as well. That, yes he wrote as well. And, and it was so interesting with, with like code nine and hyperdub as well, because at that time there was this kind of, you know, they were sort of, I guess they were more seen as being sort of a dubstep thing and a very like UK thing, you know? And so um, it was quite interesting with your music that sort of that there are elements of that, but there's also sort of elements of just like, like I think of all, a lot of interesting music that sort of feels like not really constricted by genre. It's just doing its own thing. You know, you were saying there was like a four year kind of transformation mm-hmm. in that, you know, did you, in, in that time, did you sort of kind of feel like you were connecting more with other artists making electronic music or did it feel more like, I mean, you mentioned about junior boys, but were you sort of more in a bubble or was there sort of more a kind of connection going on? I was not very connected with mm. anybody other than Jeremy and then sending emails to Steve, mm. who I I don't think at the time I'd even met in person. Mm. Um, but yeah, I was here in Hamilton just working quite a lot. Like, I think I was teaching piano still at that time and serving and working on music like at night and um, mm. yeah, it was a pretty insular time. Yeah. Yeah. And do, do you feel like, I mean, cause the album's 10 years old now as well. Yeah. <laughs> you saw it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does it feel like, does that feel like quite a quick amount of time? Does it feel like time's gone quickly? Or? It does. And it doesn't. I mean, a lot has changed for me in 10 years. Mm. I feel like a very different person from the person who wrote that record in a lot of ways um in a lot of ways things are very much the same Mm. Um, but yeah I think confidence plays into it I think of like how just how huge it was for me to put that album into Mm. the world um it's still very exciting and very nerve-wracking now but I just really I was pretty like frightened (laughs) <laughs> yeah i've really like i think grown to not like i obviously care very much what people think and mm-hmm. what they feel about the music but yeah i don't i don't have that same like sense of not right. as <laughs> yeah do you mean like in terms of people's reaction yeah i think i was like really afraid of like i think i felt like more like a child then or something like I was like gonna be a fuck up like fuck it up but now I don't think like that anymore because it's pointless um pretty futile to I've let that go so I think that's where the confidence comes in I mean, I've, I have I can hear confidence in all your music, but do you sort of feel like particularly with, with the new album, that's something that you managed to push to a foot to the front, that there's sort of more confidence sort of attitude in terms of 
releasing it and sort of just being happy with the music and not caring about people's reactions or things like that? Totally. Like I, um, yeah, I think writing for other people was a huge confidence builder Mm. for me and like other people looking to me for like what to do, like what should we do with this Mm. and knowing what to do because I just know what to do and having people being happy was great. Um, and that allowed me to definitely like get out of my shell. Mm. Um, it was really fun because I wrote one of the tracks on my new record is called Marathon and I wrote it for like a um like a rap duo and they didn't they passed on the song but I really liked it and so I just like I would have never written that song initially for myself. Mm. But it worked out. Amazing. So it was like some like almost like a piece of clothing that you'd buy for someone else and then it ends up being in your house and then you yeah. decide to wear it. And I made it mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's a really, I love that. Cause that's like a real nice analogy for this sort of sense of confidence as well, you know, sort of taking something that you initially made for someone else and then feeling that is actually for you, you know, that it can actually be for you. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that's what this album was all about. Definitely getting out of my comfort zone and um, writing for other people was also a step. Mm a step outside of my comfort zone. And it really, I'm so glad that I did it because it opened up a whole other world for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's interesting when you say about writing as well, because one of the things that I really love about your music is that um, the sort of, I mean, I don't know, it's just how I hear it and how we hear is all just completely sort of subjective, isn't it? But um, I love the way, um, the, the way that the songwriting the sort of traditional sort of sense of songwriting as in sort of words <laughs> and stuff and the production um, overlap so much, you oh, know, you. like I sort of, you know, like the, the way like if like sort of like the production will kind of take elements of like the vocals and vice versa. And it feels like it merges, you know, to me. And I really love that. And I, I was wondering to know sort of, for you, is there sort of like a distinct difference between how you approach like production in a conventional sense and songwriting in a conventional sense, or or does it just sort of blur? Um, what usually happens is that I write a much more complete song, mm. and I'll go back and listen to it and think, oh, this is a little too on the nose, or it's too. I don't know. Uh, I end up going back in and chopping it up and like moving my vocals around. And so um, I think that's why it takes on more characteristics of like a a dance song, like um, Mm. the group uh, Other People Place. I was really influenced by because it's like they're dance tracks, but there's always a vocal that runs through it. Um, Mm. That record was huge for me. also being influenced by like bands like like Wigfield, like Saturday Night. Oh right, okay, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I grew up listening to that music and like I think that song. I remember the music video really well, mm. and um, that was kind of like dance music implanting itself in in my head. And like that's yeah. not much. It's a really catchy song, but not much of a song at the end of the day like there's not that many lyrics or mm. so i think i've always been 
going going for that. Right. So you kind of like sort of make, like you say, maybe have more of a kind of complete conventional song and then you kind of strip it back and rearrange it. Do you feel like sort of like a bit like an architect or something, you know, like sort of, you know, when you hear something, is it a bit like, oh, this bit here is needs, that could be stretched or that could be moved or. Definitely. Yeah. Sometimes it gets, I can really ruin a song and have to revert back or just like abandon it altogether. But um, definitely the shuffling things around is where the song really comes together. Mm. I remember once I used, when I used to make music, I actually edited a song out of existence. Like it, it started oh, nice. because, yeah, I think there was just, I didn't like the snare and I ended up kind of removing so many things that the whole sort of track kind of collapsed in on itself. But I, you know, I, I think I ended up with just a hand clap or something. Like that. that can happen for sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and do you find when you're working on an idea as well, is it easy to sort of, if you, if you've got, if you're stuck on an idea, what, what do you, what do you do? And do you have any sorts of things that you do or you've learned to do over the years when you know that you're maybe an idea is, is sort of reached its point for that time and you can't move any forward with it? So you're asking me about ideas that get yeah, like if you get stuck, because we all get stuck sometimes, you know, what's what's your sort of, do you have like a method dealing with those times? Definitely just like having the power to walk away. Mm. It's pretty, it, but that can be really hard. You can like really start to fixate on screen and file and um, but definitely like leaving it and not just coming back when it feels natural and like just letting go is that that can be really hard Mm. to walk away from something, but yeah, definitely just like leaving it alone. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then sometimes do you find like you after a period of leaving it alone, you can kind of approach it with a fresh sense of knowing what to do. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes Mm. it's just like, I never, it'll be like years before I come back. Yeah. But I've tried to get better about labeling. Like, the songs in a way that I'll remember and not just like something stupid. Right. Oh. Not a nonsensical thing. Um, <laughs> well we have to call we had to call a file something initially, don't we? And yeah, and it's always something silly or just like mm. a bunch of letter. I don't know. I'm trying to get better about labeling things so that I'll have some idea of like what or putting the date in so I have some mm. reference as to like when. Yeah. <laughs> so sort of file project management is a very important part of like modern songwriting, I guess. I mean, I didn't think that it was, but it is. Yeah. Keeping track of your stuff and like um not getting lost in the mess of your hard drive. It can really be so distracting. Mm. If you can't find things. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have ideas that like on a new album that come from a long time ago, or was it all within that the the, the sort of period of two years that you were talking about? Yeah, the drums for Don't Leave Me Now, I have no idea when I made those. They were, I like, that originally started as those drums and I had no recollection of when they were from. So, but I just like wrote the progression and the lyrics on top of it. But that's a great example of like, it just kind of came upon something that I had not finished. That's like, this is like your, your past self giving your future self a gift. Yeah, and it's like you have to treat. That's why you have to label things properly. You yeah, have to treat treat them with respect because you don't know 
resurface and you're going to need them. Yeah. Totally, totally. But it sounds like a, that nice. It sounds like in that case, it was a nice happenstance that you stumbled upon these this drum beat. Totally, yeah. I was mm. really feeling like I needed another track to finish the album, and I came mm. across those drums, and the song came together really fast. Yeah, and and another just a couple more questions. But one is like, how how do you know when an idea is done? Kind of following up on the last question, do you do you have an innate sense of when to just stop working on something because it's done? Not, uh, that's a really good question. I don't, um, yeah, I, I think I do just know when it's, mm. if it's not feeling right, then I don't know. It's like not ready to be mixed. You know, it's like not ready for the next step. But yeah, it is really hard to, uh, luckily, like I went to London and worked with Pearson Sound. And just, mm we mixed a lot of the songs together and you know, even to have that person, I, I'm quite bad. Short answer is I don't, I'm bad at it. I, I need, <laughs> I just need like feedback or yeah. Mm. Music is like, I think it's, I mean, it is teamwork. Um, so I think for a long time, I felt like I had to conceal that or do things. Mm conceal the fact that like I like working in teams on something. I like having different, I think there's this pressure to be the like lone genius in the studio. Like mm. you're the songwriter, the engineer, producer, the mixer, the you know those are like a lot of different people's jobs. Yeah. I think that comes up quite a lot when I speak to people actually as well. The kind of like the the, the sort of myth um, which I, I don't know in my mind, it kind of goes back to like kind of some of the kind of, the kind of like romantic era composers or something like that, the kind of idea of like a Mozart or Beethoven being these kind of singular geniuses, you know? Um, and then in the sixties, you know, you had all of these kind of bands that the sort of, it's very sort of patriarchal and, and masculine, this kind of idea of the sort of lone hero <laughs> almost. And, but then, you know, th th but that, that kind of idea kind of rules out the fact that the amount of team people had at that time in music anyway, you know, the amount of money going into big rock stars and, and music makers as well, you know? And so, I, it's definitely, definitely, I think teamwork is definitely something that um, is, is one of, I think needs to be talked about more really in, in terms of how ideas are realized, really. Totally. It's, it's a team sport and everybody's job is really important. And I think having that mm. person to like help you, like David helped me arrange mm. things and puts I mean, really, it just makes the music better, um, mm. for sure. So, yeah, long answer to your question is that um, it definitely, I rely on the, mm. the other people that I'm working with to really know when something's done and um, ready to go to the next step. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what advice would you give your younger self? You know, if you, if you know, like... Um, yeah, teenage you was in a room now, you know, and you could tell them something. <laughs> I would say, don't be so afraid to make mistakes. 
but yeah, but, or maybe even just shorten it. Like, don't be afraid. That's that's amazing, actually. I, I was speaking with Baxter Jury a couple of weeks ago, and and mm-hmm. I asked him the same question, and he he'd just say, "Don't worry." You know, so it's, it's, it's amazing that that kind of does echo back. You know, I definitely think that's something that's one of the gifts of of age, isn't it? I guess is is sort of somewhere along the line. Maybe I don't know. I worry all the time, but I definitely don't feel like I worry about what I used to worry about. I won't maybe worry about different yes. things. Yeah, totally. It's like you made it this far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's done now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, Jesse, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Okay, so that was me, Paul Hampford, chatting with Jesse Lanza for Lost and Sound podcast. And we had that conversation on the 1st of June, 2023. Thank you so much, Jesse, for chatting with me there. Her new album, Love Hallucination, is out on Hyperdub on july the 28th and lost and sound is proudly sponsored by audio technica audio technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones turntables cartridges microphones studio quality yet affordable products because they believe that high quality audio should be accessible to all so wherever you are in the world head on over to www.audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff um yes thanks to eso for doing the music at the beginning and at the end of every episode you hear thank you for listening if you're a new listener welcome if you're if you're someone that is is a, is a regular here how are you doing um yes lovely to reach out to you every week it's, it's raining a little bit where i am now so i'm gonna go inside have another coffee take care and chat to you soon